We're going to be over in the book of Exodus. We've got one more lesson to get from the life of Moses here as we're looking at the call of God. We want to see how does God help you become better in what you do. Because once you answer the call, once you've been prepared and you're on the way to uh, following after that call, God still has a way to make you better. Because very few, in fact, I don't really know of anybody in the Word of God outside of Jesus who started in the call and was as good as they should be. Most of them got better as they, as they went on. So how does God get those good things out of us? How does He draw all of the call of God out of our, out of what He put on the inside of us? And we're also going to tap into something. We probably should have done this a little bit sooner. But um, how do you know what the call of God is in your life? Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But if I did, how many of you would raise your hand and say, I'm not sure what the call of God is in my life? It's real easy to figure out what the call of God is in your life. It's not hard. It's not complex. It doesn't even take a whole lot of effort on your part. You don't need times of fasting and prayer. You are more tuned in to the call of God in your life than you know. You just haven't been uh, taught to look for the signs, so we'll help you out with that. But since we started with Moses, we saw that there were three stages to the calling. That First off, we're called. Secondly, we are prepared. And then third, we're sent. We're called, prepared, and sent. We spent a whole lot of time on the stuff in the middle, as we called it. That there's a training and a teaching, and that's the easy stuff. It's easy to get under the training and teaching. Not... Not um, uh, not so easy that everybody does it, but it's it's uh, of all the things to do, that's that's the easier stuff to do. Then there's the stretching. We don't like that as much, but God, through our preparation time, He's going to stretch you. He's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable doing some things for Him. And then there's going to be the building of uh, bridges, because along the way, as you've been prepared or even before you were called. The enemy has worked against you to get you separated from those things that God put on your life to help you in your calling. And God's going to have to build some of those bridges back. And he did that with Moses. We saw Moses had cut off some of those things that he didn't feel was in his life or all that, all that good in his life. Last Sunday, we were looking at Moses and Pharaoh. And we called it, the devil is in the FDA. That the enemy will come after you with fear, doubt, and anxiety. Not just for the things of faith, such as healing, if you need a financial miracle, if you need some kind of touch of God in your life. But he's going to come after it with the call of God. And we saw how these, these factors were at play with Moses. That the devil tried to put fear in him. Tried to get him to doubt that God was going to use him, work through him, and get him in anxiety as he saw other people being affected negatively as he was following after the call of God in his life. But God, he's in the PDA. He's got plans. He plans. He develops. And he puts into action. He plans. He's got your, your way you're supposed to go all planned out. He develops that. And he puts it into action. Now here, in, we're going to jump ahead to Exodus 18. And if you're wondering about all the stuff there in the, in the middle... With all the, the plagues, we have one more time here with uh, uh, Wednesday night looking at Moses. So if you want, come on out for that or tune in on Facebook. We'll be dealing with at least a little bit of that stuff. Exodus chapter 18, verse 1. And Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, I saw a note some time ago on this that Jethro is the... Uh, a distant relative of Moses. 
So I wanted to see if I could check that out and figure out what was, was going on. Well, he's the priest of where? Midian. He is the priest of Midian. The, um, you all know that after Sarah died, that Abraham remarried. And he remarried and they had a number of children with the, with the new marriage. And so a lot of those, those uh, ones are listed in the Word of God. They're in Genesis chapter 25. I gave you the reference there for it. And if you look it up, you will find that one of the children's names is Midian. It would seem, you know, especially for this time of, of the development of man, that uh, one of the children, very often the entire people was called after them. And so that could be where they're getting that he's a distant relative. But let's go on here and see what we have to, to read here. In verse 2, let's go back to verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Rose's father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, it doesn't say that Moses sent to Jethro to let him know what happened. It just says that Jethro heard about it. Now, this is, not the, this is the days before the Internet, before phone calls and cell phones. This is before newspapers and uh, even letters. You know, there's no postman back then. So we didn't have all those ways, but somehow word would get around. You'd get uh, word that would pass by because it was quite a miraculous thing that God did to bring Israel out. And so you get to some of the uh, populated areas and maybe some of the people coming in on ships over to the Egyptian area, heard about some of the things that had gone on. And as they sailed back, they told it to some people over there. And eventually the word got all the way back to Jethro. So we heard about this and he says, oh, they're, they're out of Egypt now and they're on the way. I think I'll go meet them. In verse 2, Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. Now he sent her back because she wasn't happy to stay. She didn't sign up. Basically, she, I didn't sign up for this is, is kind of what she was, was saying. And they had that big encounter in the wilderness where Moses almost died. And, and uh, because she did not want to raise the children the way Moses was taught to raise the children. Moses wanted to circumcise the babies and she didn't. And apparently she went out for a while. But as uh, God came down and says, Moses, you're going into my calling and you haven't done what you're supposed to do. Circumcise them boys. And he was about ready to die. Anybody remember that story? Wow, maybe I ought to go back and pick that one on up. Yeah, Moses almost died. On the way to do what God called him to do, almost died. And so uh, Zipporah, she went over there and she circumcised the boy. She was not happy about it. But she went over there and she circumcised and took the circumcision, such the foreskin she had, and threw it at him. She's mad. Yeah, she was so mad she went back home. Now this is how mad she was. She took her two boys, left the big strong Moses who's going to, who to, uh, delivered her before, and made her way back over the wilderness back home. That's how mad she was. I don't need you. You don't need to take me back home. You go do what God called you to do. I'm going home. I don't need none of this stuff. And she left. So, Jethro didn't like the fact that she left. What are you doing home? Married you off. Supposed to be back there with your husband. I'm not staying with him. 
And so we finally found out that they had gone out of Egypt. Said, "We're we're going. We're going." So he took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in the foreign land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. Now he said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. So Moses went out to meet who? Let me just make sure we got that right. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. Who's with him? And... Doesn't that seem odd? Huh. He bowed down and kissed him. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking he ought to kiss his wife. But he bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being. And they went into the tent. Where's his wife? Can you feel there's a little bit of stress between these two right now? They're not part of our topic here. We're not going to get into them. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Then Jethro rejoiced with all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. So he rejoiced. He's glad. He hears about all the things that God's doing, and he gets excited about it. He says, this is all right. Now look at this in particular that says here that uh, Moses told his father-in-law in verse 8 all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake all the hardships that had come upon them on the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Now I would like to you know I got, I got a list of videotape I want to have roll. This is one of them. Because you will notice that in the body of Christ that most Christians do not know how to give a testimony. It is a lost art. Because I've heard Brother Hagen, he said, he said this when we were in school. This is how long this has been going on. He said, most people, when they get up and give a testimony, testify for 20 minutes about what the devil did and five minutes about what God did. That was out of his mouth. Tell you what, it's a whole lot more. The reason we do that is we talk more about what the devil did because this is what I survived. This is what I endured. Because most testimonies that we do are about us. We say we're testifying of God, but we're not testifying of God. We're testifying about us. This is what happened to me. This is what my faith did. You see, if you really get into the testimony, you find out this is a testimony about what God did. That's why I want to run the videotape. Moses, let me see how the testimony's done. Show me. Because I know Moses did it right. He did it right. He talked about all the Lord had done to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians. He didn't talk about what Moses did to him. He talked about what the Lord did to him. That's what God did. God brought frogs. He brought gnats. Turned the water into blood. It sounds like he's minimizing whatever role he had in this thing. And he's just emphasizing what God did. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way. All the things that had done that the 
Pharaoh tried to do or whatever hardships he can. But I'm sure when he's, when he's bringing about, all right, this is the hardship that came up. This is what God did. Then then this hardship came up. And this is what God did. And how the Lord had delivered them. Who was the deliverer? It's supposed to be Moses. Who does Moses say the deliverer is? See, that's what our testimony should do. Our testimony should be about the Lord and about what He did and not about what we did, what we endured. That's just a little side note. We'll have to wait to get to the videotape to see all the rest of it. But we can, uh, we can certainly learn from, from that part. So Jethro is the priest of Midian. I saw some things about him heading up a... a uh, they put a name on it. I didn't write down the name. But they're heading up this particular religion... And it, you know, it seems like it has its roots in Judaism, uh, but then had branched off on it. And I don't know that that's necessarily true. And the reason for that is uh, just what goes on here in the rest of the, the scripture. Look at verse 10. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now, most times when you've heard a Christian give a testimony, the words out of our mouth is, Oh, you poor soul. Oh, what you had to endure. How many times do we hear a Christian's testimony and we think, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in every, for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses, fa- Moses' father-in-law before God. So first off, in verse 11, we have that Jethro confesses the lordship of God. That he is the supreme God. He is the one who's worthy of worship. And then you will also notice this. Jethro brings a sacrifice. Now, of the people that are there, we have Moses mentioned and we have Aaron mentioned. Who is the most qualified to bring a sacrifice? Aaron. Aaron would be the most qualified. Who brings the sacrifice? All right. So if you have Moses who hears from God, Aaron, who's the most qualified, and Jethro. And these two stand by and let Jethro offer the sacrifice to God. What does that tell you of the testimony of Moses and Aaron about Jethro? That testimony tells me that Jethro is not some priest of some foreign god, but that Jethro is a worshiper of God Almighty. Because there is no way that Moses is going to let his father-in-law, who he lived with for 40 years, if he worshipped foreign idols, offer a sacrifice to his God. He says, hey, it's great that you want to bring a sacrifice. we got Aaron here. Aaron will make the sacrifice. Let's all go together and, and do this. He would have stopped him. I know Moses would have stopped him. He would not have let that go on because he had 40 years of interaction with Jethro. If there is any doubt in his mind that Jethro worshipped Jehovah God, any doubt, it would have been stopped. So, you know, I put away all the other things that were written about Jethro. We didn't need to 
to read about all that because I think they're wrong. I have the testimony of Moses. And that testimony is you're qualified to put it, bring this sacrifice before God. Now remember, this is before the Levites were sectioned off as being the, the only priest. What did God want initially? He wanted a nation of kings and priests. And he didn't quite get that the, the way that he wanted. Let's go on to um, verse 13. And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So we kind of start the next day out. This is the way the day goes. This is the way we, we, um, we do things. And so, you know, it's just a normal day. So he gets up. Well, we'll just start the day the way it goes. What do we do on this day? Well, I go out here and I listen to the people. We judge the people. They have not been out in the wilderness too long. They already have problems. And they need somebody to decide between who's right and who's wrong. So the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and His laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear them yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel. And God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you. But every small matter they themselves shall judge. Shall it be easier for you, for they will bear the burden for with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands, then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So this is the counsel that he gave them. Now, how many of you all know the court system we have set up here in this country? We have, um, if you have a dispute, you bring it to a lower court. And if you win that dispute or lose that dispute, you have the option to appeal to a higher court. And then if you lose that one, you can appeal to a higher court. And you can keep going up until you hit the very top one. If the Supreme Court would, is interested in your particular case and they say, yeah, we'll go ahead and hear that. And they hear the, the case on it. But once that decision is done, it's over, right? Where do you think we got the system from? See, most of the way our country is founded, most of the government's systems we have in place came from the Word of God. It came because men studied the Word of God and they pulled things out of it as to how to set it up. Our court system was set up based upon what Jethro told Moses to do. What you do is you have some people that are put over a small number and then uh, other ones that are put over a larger number. And if it's too great for this one, then it goes up to this level. And if they can't decide it, then it goes up to this one. And if finally, we, no one can decide what is, what is going on, then we elevate this to Moses. And Moses, you'll decide it. But this way, you're not hearing all the cases. You just hear a few. 
And then once uh, you hear that case, you make a decision on it, then that's where they, that's where they go. That's where we got that from. So Moses started his day, normal day, and Jethro sees it and says, no, this is not good. Now he waits till he gets through the whole day. He watches the whole day. He sees what's going on. And he comes here with some main points. The first off, this is a, this, this thing that you are doing. Well, this is the thing that you are doing. This is something, this is not something God told you to do. Moses, this is a thing that you are doing. That's what he says to him. Moses, this thing that you are doing. This is your thing. It's not something God put on you. This is your thing. He says, you, you sit alone. Why do you sit alone? Why is it just you up there? And all the people stand before you. So, one Moses, all the people. They stood in line from morning until evening. Now imagine if you got to the DMV. And you got there early in the morning before they opened. Because you didn't want to wait in a long line. And there was people all over the DMV. And by the time they opened up, the number that you got was 10,593. And you looked at that number and said, eh, I'm going to be here all day. Then you had to wait and wait and wait. And you got all the way to the end of the day. And then they only had gotten up to 4,987. You were way far off. And they say, come back tomorrow. And your ticket, 10,000, whatever. No good anymore. So we got you got to come back tomorrow and, and start all over again. How many of you are going to like this process? How many are going to be encouraged? I can't wait to get in here tomorrow. I'm going to get here even earlier. And we get frustrated. And it begins to wear you out. And you don't, don't like this. If you went to a particular store, and every time you went to that store, there were long lines. Lines that were so long. And it would take you hours to get through. Think of Black Friday. First time our kids, when they were younger, they decided they wanted to go out on Black Friday, and we went out on Black Friday. I'd never gone out on Black Friday. I had no reason to want to go out on Black Friday. I didn't need to save $20 so much that I would wait in line for four hours. I just didn't see the, the benefit of, of that. But um, they just wanted to go out and do it, so we went out there and did it. And I remember a couple of lines we were in. The one time we wanted to... Um, I think it was Best Buy. I think it was Best Buy and we walked on in there and they had the line set up to where the line weaved all the way through the store. All the way out to the store. And if you know the Best Buy over where we are in Montgomeryville, the line is all the way up in the front of the store and the line went all the way back to the appliances in the far back corner. And so we uh, we had picked up a, uh, I believe at that time it was a Blu-ray player. We were going to get a Blu-ray player that year. And um, picked this thing up. No, it may have been just a CD player. Or the, the DVD player. I think it was just a DVD. We were, we were graduating from VHS to DVD. And so um, we picked this thing up. We were going to save, you know, instead of 60 bucks, it was 30 bucks or whatever. I don't know. Whatever, whatever it was, it was cheaper. And so uh, we went over there. We saw where the line ended. And so we got over there. And the line didn't end then. They had a person that was there. And the line continued on over here but they didn't want to block the aisle. 
And so there was a store person who was watching the line here to let people get out of this line to go over here to this line and not block the, uh, the aisle. So then we followed that one. And then we followed that one. And then we followed that one. And then we kept going, going and going and going. And we said, this is not worth a DVD player. And so we walked on back. We put the DVD player back. And we left. That was, that was it. Now eventually, Christian and I, we had come upon a store called, it used to be around, it's not around anymore, but CompUSA. And CompUSA, you know, we were there in the afternoon and they had a huge pile of DVD players that was now whittled down to about five. It was on a, on a skid. So we, we picked up one of the ones that was there and we went up to the line and there was two people in front of us. That was good. Everybody was at Best Buy. <laughs> they weren't going to CompUSA. So we, uh, we, we made it much better. But if you had to face that Black Friday lines every single day, that would discourage you, wouldn't it? You wouldn't want to be doing all that. I mean, just to get to the mall, places like that, you had to park way, way, way out there just to be able to get back. Just to get a parking place. If you can get a parking place. How many have ever been to the mall and not able to find a parking place? I haven't seen it that way for a few years, but I know for, for a while it was that way. You, there was no parking places. On certain days you go, Friday nights, Saturdays, different times like that. If you just went to the mall when everybody else was available to go to the mall, you were not getting a parking place. And that can get discouraging. What Jethro is saying here is you're going to wear these people out. They're going to be tired of waiting in line to hear what you have to say. And you're going to get wore out. Because you can't keep this pace up and doing all the things you have to do as a deliverer. And be listening to these people from morning until night. It's not going to be good. So basically, he's saying you have taken on too much. And it will not only wear you out, it will wear out them as well. Now here's his solution. Let's involve some other people. Let's use their gifts, multiply access to wise counsel, and provide a way for the difficult cases to move up. So this way, when they came, if their case wasn't heard, it wasn't just thrown out. I got heard by this lower case, and they decided that mine needed to move up. And I've at least got some movement on the, on the thing. Now, he could have said this. Moses could have said, once he, he heard Jethro, Jethro calls him over and he says, Jethro, or Moses, what you doing? It's not good. It's not good. And he gives him all this advice. Here's what he could have said. He said, I am the one. Moses could be saying this. I am the one who is called, prepared, and anointed. I'm the CPA here. Not you. You weren't called to be the deliverer of Israel. That wasn't your calling. You were not prepared for this ministry. And you were not anointed. I didn't hear any burning bush experience in your history. Hearing God telling you to go out there and deliver the people. How many snakes did you pick up? He could have done this, couldn't he? Because how many people did God call to be the deliverer? One. How many people did God prepare to be the deliverer? One. How many people did God anoint to be the deliverer? 
There's one. He could have said, Who are you to advise me? Who are you? A priest over there in Midian. And he could have done that, couldn't he? You see, God will give you counsel directly. He'll speak to you counsel. But if you don't listen to Him, He'll send some other people to speak to you. But not all who approach you with some counsel have been sent. you got to understand that. Not everybody. Now, first off, how do you know if He... If, if, Moses is the one who's called. How do you know what you are called to do? So, you know, I've been spending a lot of time here with the life of Moses because we've been in that section in Hebrews that talks about Moses and his parents. So we're getting into that on Wednesdays and getting into it here. And so as I'm meditating over this, um, what what was Moses called to do? He's called to be a deliverer. That's his calling, right? That's his calling. What is the first interaction that we have with Moses once he figures out that he's called to be the deliverer, what's the first action that we have from him? He sees his brethren being abused by an Egyptian and he goes over and he does what? Kills the Egyptian. What did he do? He delivered one of his brethren. Did he not? He was under something that wasn't right. And he stepped in and he delivered him. What's he called to do? He's called to be a deliverer. When he runs and flees out of Pharaoh because it didn't quite work out the way he was, and he sat down by the well and some ladies came to water the uh, flocks and some of the other men came around to drive them away and harass them, what did Moses do? He delivered them from the oppressors. Once Moses finds out his calling, the two things we find out that he did was he delivered. Now, you see, you can't just read over these scriptures. You've got to put yourself in these positions. You've got to begin to meditate on this. You've got to begin to think about this. You've got to put yourself in Moses' shoes. Moses has found out that the people of Israel are his people. He has found out that God has called him to be the deliverer of those people from the oppression of the Egyptians. And this is something that is, that is bubbling up on the inside of him. And so when he sees one of his brethren being abused by the uh, Egyptians, it rises up on the inside. And he steps out and he follows that passion. That passion is, i got to stop this. I got to deliver. I cannot see people being oppressed and not deliver them. So he may think it is better for me to be quiet than to expose myself, but he can't keep it down because this is what I'm called to do. This is what God put on the inside of me. And he steps out and he kills them. Now don't just don't just think here that Moses went up there and said, hey, I don't like you. I am going to kill you. No. 
That's not what's going on at all. Moses did not premeditate killing or murdering someone. I'm sure he stepped in. This thing escalated and it ended in murder. But it escalated. It started out like Moses was probably stepping in and says, Hey, you're going too far with this. This is not what you need to be doing. What's the, what's the, what's the cause here? And maybe the soldier got out of line. Maybe he was getting out of line. And Moses says, look, I'm Moses. I'm the son of Pharaoh. You will listen to what I have to say. And maybe this soldier was, was a little uh, rebellious. No, if I want to beat on a Hebrew child, I can do it. Why do you care? Something had gone on and something began to escalate. And it began to take it up higher. Until Moses... Then they got, got into a, a battle. And the battle got so heated that Moses killed him. But that's not what his intention was to start. He didn't sneak up behind him and say, I'll just take this guy out. There was something that had gone on. Then he goes on up. Well, that didn't work out so well. Delivering the Israelites, I don't like this calling. I'm going to run away from this calling. And he sits down by a well. Minding his own business. Just minding his own business. And um, some ladies come. Get the water. And he's watching this. Going on, oh, the lady's coming. Getting the water. Isn't that nice? They take care of the flocks like that. Then he sees some other guys. And how many of you can see trouble before it gets there? He's seen these other guys coming. He hears some of their talk, sees some of their mannerisms. This is this is not going to be good. This is this is going to be trouble. I see you got to put yourself in Moses' position. What happened the last time that Moses tried to be a deliverer? It escalated. Somebody died. I had to leave didn't go well. Now, if that was your first experience being a deliverer and you are presented with a second opportunity, what are you going to do? How many would say resist? I am not the deliverer. I thought I was a deliverer. I am not the deliverer. I am not going to go out here and deliver these people. But he began to see the the interaction was going on between the men. This, this is not right. This is not right. This is not right. This should not. These guys should not be doing it. He's probably sitting over there on the sidelines, which gives the guys who come on in the impression, this is a wimp over here. He's not, he's not going to be any kind of thing for us at all. We can do whatever we need to do. Get these women out of here. Whatever it might be. Finally, he rises up inside of Moses and he says, I, I can't do it. can't do it. This is not right. This can't be going on. And he rises up with that staff. And they don't know that he is a skilled fighter. Been trained by the best army. It's the best training. And he comes on, comes on there. We watch the movies all the time. You know, the one... 
uh, agent from whatever whatever organization. And they, um, you know, 16 people are coming to get you. Come on. Come on. Let's go. And he's ready for them. And he takes one out, takes another one out, takes another one out. Swings that staff on around. Who else? (laughs) And he's ready to take on whoever wants to come. And eventually, you know, just like it is in the movies, if you had 16 of them coming, after the first eight go down, the other eight said, you know what? We're out of here. And they all go. And he turns around to the ladies. Y'all okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, we're fine. Okay. Stays work. He sits on down. They're awed that somebody would stand up and do this. Why does he do it? Because he has that passion to be a deliverer. You see, the thing that you have been called to do is first off a thing that you have a passion for. But like Moses, get this one. Folks, get this one down. Like Moses, most things that we have a passion for that we are called to do, we start off doing them wrong. And it discourages us from doing it again. We blame all the people. Moses, I'm sure, came out of Egypt. Those Israelites, they don't know who they chased off. They don't know. I could have helped them. They don't know what they did. Go out there mad. Blame all the other people. But the fault was in Moses. Because he stepped out to do what he was passionate about doing. But all he did was follow his passion. And then follow the wisdom of God. And so now he's in the position, he's a deliverer of Israel. He's been prepared. But he's fallen into something that he is not passionate about. How many of you all can pick this up? Moses is not passionate about listening to court cases not what I signed up for but he has fallen into it because who else is out there to to do this probably thinks who else is going to be doing this let's go on verse 24 so Moses heeded the voice of their father of his father-in-law and did all that he said and Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Hmm. They said, oh, that, that's, that's a good idea. I like it because first off, it gets me out of doing what I don't like to do. Because I'm sure he doesn't like doing it. But there's other people who probably do. I like doing this. I like listening to court cases. I mean, why do people become a judge? Because they like hearing cases. They like processing the law. I don't know. I didn't become a judge. You didn't become a judge. But some people, they become a judge. Why do some people become lawyers? They like arguing. They're passionate about arguing. They, they step out in that. You see, if you want to find the call of God on your life, first off, find out what you're passionate about. That's not all. 
Just because you're passionate about it doesn't mean you just step right into that calling and just get going. That's where we get a lot of people in trouble. Can't just do that. But he stepped into being a deliverer. He finally got into it right. And then, when Jethro comes along, he's doing something. Yeah, you know what? That's outside of the calling that I have. He doesn't yell at the person. He's giving them the advice. He listens to it. Now, I have some notes. I left some blank lines on your outline because uh, I couldn't put all these things in there. You can write them down if you want to. Or not. But not all advice was received in the Word and some that was shouldn't have been. Not all advice was received in the Word. Joash, we talked about him just in this, this series. He received Jehoiada's counsel but should have rejected the counsel that came after that. But he received both. One helped him one got him in trouble. Saul received bad counsel about David. And that got him in trouble. Absalom received counsel from Hushai that appealed to his pride to give David time. And the good counsel of Ahithophel was ignored. Rehoboam received both good and bad counsel, but he chose the bad. Remember, first off, he had the counsel that came up and said, Look, give in to the people. If you give in to them now, just give in a little bit. Just give them something. They'll be yours forever. But if you don't, they'll leave you. And you got the other young man in there who says, Oh, no, no. You need to be tougher than your dad. You need to lay the law down with them. And he did, and they all walked off. Except for the two tribes. Jeroboam received bound counsel to set up false worship. And that didn't go so well, should it? Or did it? Remember Peter's advice to Jesus? Jesus, you know what? You shouldn't be teaching this way. You shouldn't be going on about these things. Uh, my advice to you is knock it off. And what's Jesus saying? Get behind me. See, not all counsel, just because you receive counsel, just because people have brought counsel to you, does not mean that you should receive it. In fact, if you go through the Word of God, you will probably find more examples of people who should not have received the counsel or followed the counsel than should have followed it. Now, there's also some examples of people who did receive good counsel and followed it and should have. David received good counsel, as did his son Solomon. They both had good counselors on staff, and they would go to them, What should we do here? And they got counsel. And it worked out good for him. Paul got counsel from Barnabas. Barnabas went out and sought him out and gave him counsel of how he could follow after the call of the the ministry God had put on his life. Because the first time he stepped out and tried to teach people, it didn't go so well. Apollos, he received counsel from Priscilla and Aquila. They saw that he was passionate about teaching and he was a very passionate teacher. One One of the leading teachers of the day. Named up there with Paul. But he didn't quite have all of his doctrine right. And so they took him aside. And they gave him counsel. He received that. He went on there and fixed some things. Peter got counsel from Paul. It was kind of a rebuke. <laughs> but it was counsel. And he heeded it. And it did. It went well. Well, we can keep on going with that. You can look at the counsel that Titus gave to the, the Cretans. And turn them around. They listened to it. Timothy received counsel from Paul, shaped his life. 
many, many there receive counsel. Now, this is not in your outline. You can write down whatever you want to on this. But why do some people reject advice? Why do some people, and specifically, why do some people reject good advice? Good advice. I understand why people reject bad advice, but why do they reject good advice? First off, they think they know it all. You ever try to give counsel to somebody who knows it all? It don't work. Sometimes you run into that with little kids. You know, a little kid, he's playing with a toy, playing with it wrong. And you can see he's playing with it wrong. You want to help him play with that toy right. And can, can I show you how that works? No. Okay. They rejected it. They know it all. Here's the next one. They are not hearing from God. I don't think that this is the person who's rejecting it. They're thinking that you brought counsel, but you're not hearing from God. I'm hearing from God. What I got is God. What you got is not. That's one reason that they'll reject it. Another. Well, those people who gave me advice, they are not on the same spiritual level that I am. How can I take advice from them when they're not on the same spiritual level that I am? Here's another one. They don't have the same calling. How can I take advice from somebody who's not called into the same thing I'm called into? That's not going to go well. Basically, the people who reject advice are those who elevate themselves and knock down others. A simple word for this is pride. See, the wrong focus usually has me looking at myself or them. Well, they're not qualified. Well, they're not in my calling. Well, I already know it all. But the right focus is on what is God saying to me. Moses kept his focus here on the right thing. What is God saying to me? Now this attitude that will cause you to reject good counsel can start subtly. Here's one of the ways that it'll, it'll start. And if you go through the Word of God, you'll see some of this in some of the examples that we have uh, even listed here. We begin to become critical of other people. Not critical of their advice. Critical of them. Did you see what they wore? Who wears that to church? Did you see how they... And what about what they... You see, if we get us into the place where we become critical, about this is why the Word of God has so much to say about don't do this, don't fall into this because of the, uh, the implications that it, that it brings. And if I keep criticizing people for stupid things like what they wore or how they walk or how they talk or things of, of that nature, then it begins to snowball. Because once I'm comfortable doing that, then I begin to become critical of other things that they are. And you see, what the enemy wants to, wants to do is he wants to get you to be critical of the light. Critical of the light. Now watch this. How many of you have seen, we'll just pull out a few of them that are out there, Brother Creflo Dollar, Brother Copeland, uh, Brother Keith Moore, other ones that are national uh, ministers teach on a national basis. 
and criticism comes out about them. Boy, did you see how much they spent on that? Why are they always dressed with this? Do you see what kind of car they drive? Do you hear that they always teach on this topic? Why are they not teaching on some of these other things? We become critical of that because if he can get you to become critical of these, you'll become critical of the light. And if you criticize the light, oh man, that's bad. Remember Galileo? The advice that he gave, not Galileo, um, Gamaliel, the advice he gave to the council people. If God is on these men, then we will be fighting against the hand of God. If God is not on what these men are doing, then it will eventually fall away, just like any names some ones that have fallen away. But let's not be seen as fighting against the hand of God. See, we've got to be careful about it. There are some ministers out there. I don't appreciate all the things that they teach, but I'm not going to stand up and say, watch out for this over here. Now, if they're into straight-up heresy, teaching things that are completely against the Word of God and salvation, that's different. But if it's just a you know, little different area of, um, of, of things, I, I could name for you some ministers, and I listen to them all the time. One particular minister we used to listen to on the way to Ramah, and he blasted faith people. Blasted them. Every time he got on topic, he would blast them. Just, and we just sit there and just smile and says, uh, well, I guess he, he don't like them too much, huh? Because <laughs> on the other topics, he was phenomenal. You get him on other topics in the Bible, he was phenomenal. I mean, anointing, insight, it was great stuff. So we just, we, we just go on and we just, we're not going to criticize him, not going to cut him down, we're not going to talk about that at all. Let's just glean the things that we can glean. Because there's some good things to be done there. Don't get into practice of criticizing people in the body of Christ. Don't do it. Because the ultimate goal of the enemy is to get you to the point where you will be shut down from receiving counsel. It will shut you down from receiving counsel. And you won't even know it. That little boy, little girl, playing with that toy. You're trying to get in there and help them play with the toy. And they say, nope, mine. And they chase you away. They reject that help. You wanted to help them. But that attitude that was in them kept them from being helped. And they weren't able to play with the toy the way it was supposed to be played with. Now sometimes, you know, being little kids, they're resilient. And sometimes after five minutes of frustration, they'll bring it to you. Help. And then they're open to receive. But up until that time, they're not. So, some people reject it for, for some of these, these reasons, but just be careful. Don't get pulled into criticism. Don't go around criticizing people in the body of Christ. Don't go around criticizing other ministers. Because it's going to... The goal of it is that you will not be able to receive any instruction. Now, think about this. Think about some people, even in the world... Every time you talk to them, it is a criticism of somebody. I'm, we all have, how many of y'all have people like that in your life? At work, at home, in the neighborhood. You got people around. Everything out of their mouth is critical about someone. 
Now try and give them instruction on anything. Go ahead, just, just do a little experiment. Just go on home, meet up with them wherever it is you meet up with them, and just try and give them some instruction on anything. Some of you already know, I already know what they're going to do. They're going to shut it down. Because if the enemy can get you into this kind of thinking, he will shut you down from receiving counsel. Now, let's go back to our story. If Moses was shut down from receiving counsel, what would have happened to his deliverance ministry? Deliverer ministry, I should say. Deliverance has other connotations on it. What would happen if his ministry as a deliverer? They probably would have not lasted very long. The people would have mutinied for good reason instead of all the bad ones that they chose. And Moses would have just been playing war out. Would that mean that God didn't call him to be a deliverer? Would that mean that God's hand wasn't on him? No, it means he shut down counsel, didn't receive it, and didn't go on. Now look at Jeroboam. Jeroboam had the hand of God on his life, didn't he? Then he got the call of God on his life. Then was separated for that call to step out and be king over the ten northern tribes. Took bad counsel. And eventually he got to the place where he was so hard that when prophets came into the land and tried to tell him, you're doing it wrong, he killed them. He wouldn't receive from them. That's what the enemy wants to get you to be. Don't let him get you there. Let's wrap this thing up here. Heeding bound counsel is just as much a deterrent as rejecting good counsel. There are well-meaning Christian brothers and sisters who will come to you and give you bad counsel. They think it's good. They think it's right. But it's bad counsel. If you accept bad counsel, it will be just as harmful as rejecting good. You have to make sure of it. Now, most people that have fallen into the wrong place in their life, they've gone after the criticism, they've gone after the bad things, their, their pride is coming in their life. If you reject their counsel, they reject you. That's how it usually comes out. Go in through the Word of God and see it. I'll give you one, one case. Remember when uh, Moses was up there and, and people, they had counseled Moses. Moses, you take too much on yourself. We're anointed. They wanted to bring the incense before uh, the, the censers before God. And what's Moses say? And you guys don't know what you're asking for. Fine, go ahead. Bring your own censers and we'll bring them before God. We'll let God decide. See, because they shut down anybody saying anything else to them. Time and time again, you're going to see that in the Word of God. If you offer counsel to someone and you feel that hurt because they rejected my counsel, it's probably saying there's something wrong with you which probably hindered people from even receiving the counsel to begin with. It's just not my opinion. That's, you'll see that in the Word of God time and time again. I gave you... How many, how many examples did I give you of people who received good counsel, bad counsel? Go back and look at those stories and check out the attitudes that were there with people who were presenting the, the counsel. You'll see it. Let's get on with this. Always being right, not listening to good counsel and finding fault with all those who are put in place to help will not help you follow the call. Can't always be right. Doesn't mean that you're wrong. 
all the time either. Because you cannot always be right. You got to listen to good counsel. But you, you got to be tied in. For, I gave you three things here. You got to be tied in. First off, you got to be, you must be tuned spiritually. You have got to have your spirit in tune with the Holy Spirit because when people bring you counsel, the Holy Spirit will say, yes, follow that. Just like with Moses. When Moses heard the counsel from Jethro, his spirit said, yes, follow that. That will help you. This is what I've been trying to tell you. This is what I've been trying to get you to do. But other times people came and they gave him counsel and his spirit rejected it. His spirit said, no, that's not it. They were totally convinced of it. Thoroughly convinced that God had told them this. But Moses and his spirit said, no. And in the end, Moses was shown to be right. Just because you reject counsel does not mean you are closed. You've got to tap, tap into your spirit. What does your spirit say? Is your spirit saying, this is good counsel? Is your spirit saying, no, this is not counsel for you? It may even be good counsel, but it's not good counsel for you. Don't you follow it. Don't you do it. So you must be tuned in spiritually. Second, heed that which is beneficial. If your spirit says, this is beneficial, heed it. Do it. Follow it. Go after it. If you do, people will be angry at you for doing it. That's just the way people are. But it's all right. Heed that which is beneficial. Here's the third one. And seek after wisdom though through counsel and understanding. Sometimes, like with Jethro, the counsel found Moses. Moses didn't send for it. He didn't ask for it. He didn't even know he was doing anything wrong. But sometimes, it may just be going, I don't, I'm not doing this right. I'm having too much trouble with, with uh, the, the people here. I'm just, I'm not doing this right. So you got to go after God. God, what do I need on this thing? I, if you're not hearing it well, find some people you can sit down with and, and ask. Look, how did you overcome this problem? What did you do over here? How can I get past? Ask them. And as they begin to speak to you, down in your spirits, no, no, that's not it. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And then you go on to the next one. And then they speak some things to you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I needed to hear. That's what I needed. Because down in your spirit, it'll say, yeah, go ahead and do it. You must be tuned in spiritually. Heed that which is beneficial. And seek after wisdom through counsel and understanding. Seek after wisdom through counsel and understanding. Folks, it'll help you out. God wants you to to accomplish this thing just because you have passion about a thing. It doesn't mean that you have everything that you you need to do. Here's one of the things that Moses needed to to learn to do. Moses, I I, I think you can understand this. When he was growing up in Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh's house was probably very social. A lot of people coming in. He was interacting with a lot of people. And then when he had that part with the failed delivering people and, and people that he tried to help wanted to kill him, and the people that uh, he was uh, in Pharaoh's house, they wanted to kill him. A lot of people want to kill you. What do you want to do when that happens? You want to get away from people. You want to be by yourself. When, Mo- when God found Moses on the wilderness, how many people were around him? Nobody. Probably Moses felt very comfortable being by himself. But if Moses is going to do what he has to do, he has to be around people. You've got to learn how to like people. If you are going to do a call of God, you've got to learn to like people. If you cannot get along with people, 
you're going to have a hard time with the call of God on your life. Now think about this. My wife and I, we were watching another Hallmark show. And we were watching this. Um, uh, we were both, that guy's creepy. They had a real creepy guy on this one. I mean, they made, he was a good actor. And he acted creepy. And so they were, uh, they were over at the pastor's house. The lady, of the, you know, one of the main ladies at the pastor's house. And this guy, they invited her. And he was trying to pick her up. He, he wanted a date with this, with this lady. And um, she wanted no part of this date. She didn't like this guy. And he was saying all the wrong things. And you can just see, if somebody could just sit him down and counsel him, maybe he could uh, get a date with somebody. But he was just doing all the things that were wrong. You see, he became passionate about this woman that sat across the table from him. But he pursued her in every, every possible wrong way so that by the time the dinner was over, he's going to walk her home. It was so funny. She's running to get away from him. Running to get away from him to get to the door. And he's running after her. That's not, that's not going to work. This is, this is not, not the way to do it. You see, I mean, yes, we've watched, we've watched shows, we've watched it in real life. When a young man takes a fancy to a girl, what happens? Becomes clumsy, becomes stupid, he can't talk. And you'd actually like to be able to take that person and just slap him upside the head. Would you just get a grip? It's not going to work if you keep, this is not going to work. And it, it can go the other way as well. I've seen women who have talked about how they want to have a husband in a, in a, in a certain way. There's a great desire of their heart. But people can't stand to be around them. <laughs> if you are going to get married and have a husband, you need to be able to be enjoyable. That's kind of a requirement. But if we, if we don't pursue those things, you know, you, you see the young man doing the stupid things, you see the, some woman out there doing, I mean, that movie, How to, How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. That was good. <laughs> I enjoyed that movie. Because <laughs> you can do some stupid things that we think are helping. And they aren't. You see, we, we had the call of God. I had that passion. But then I began to do some things. And they're stupid things. There are things that are putting a roadblock between me and accomplishing that. Just like Moses went out there and killing that Egyptian, this is the stupid thing. You followed your passion, but you put a roadblock up to get what you want. Just because you follow your passion doesn't mean you're doing it in the right way. Just because it didn't work out for you the right the first time the way it didn't work out for Moses does not mean it will not work out for you in the long run. But if you're going to do anything in the kingdom of God, I will tell you this, one of the first things you need to learn how to do is how to get along with people. And I don't just mean the easy ones. I mean, there are some people out there that are just really easy to work with. And there are some people that are not so easy. You need to learn how to work with the easy ones and the hard ones. Because if you do, you're going to remove roadblocks from accomplishing the call of God on your life. But it's up to you. It's up to you. It was up to Moses. Moses delayed his call because of the way that he went after it. We can delay our call. If I become obnoxious to people, if I'm always criticizing people, if I'm not building them up, if I'm not helping them, this is not going to go well. And then listen to people. 
And if you don't have people come up and knock on your door saying, hey, can I help you out with that? Go and knock on theirs. Do you have anything that you could tell me about how I can do this better? Am I doing this all right? How's it coming across to people? How are people receiving this? I know one guy who was in ministry. He had some of the best mentors around him that I could that I could imagine having. I could not imagine being in a better situation having more mentors around him than this person had. He was given every opportunity to succeed in ministry. Every opportunity to succeed. But from all reports and all accounts that we heard, the guy was obnoxious. The guy thought he had all the answers. And he never improved. He would step out there and he'd do things in ministry. And year after year after year, it was always the same mistakes, always the same blunders, always the same stuff. Never improved. From what I'm told, no one could speak to him into his life and tell him anything that was wrong that wasn't tolerated. And he didn't go that far. Don't let that be a hindrance for you. So where's your passion at? All right, well, I got a passion in this, but I haven't been able to pursue it. Well, reason that you're not pursuing it, reason you're not getting in there, find out what, what it is. Find out what God's telling you to do. Could be that we've been our own problem. And it's a whole lot easier for you to see other people being their own problem in their walk and their calling than it is to see our own. It's a whole lot easier for that. Just like it's a whole lot easier for the young man to not see the problems he has in asking a woman out. It's a whole lot harder for him to see that. But you can, you can see it. You've got to get with other people. Say, what am I doing that's wrong? Because other people will tell you. They'll help you out with it. Don't stand up with me. There's a call of God on your life. God has some preparation for it. Whether that preparation takes one year, five years, ten years, thirty years. He is a very patient God. But He needs you to hit a certain spot in the area of preparation before He can move you out. Once He moves you out and you're in that call, you've been set aside, you've been set out into that. He's still improving you. He's still going to be doing things to help you. And you've got to let that passion come up. You've got to let that passion take you over. I am going to become the best at, and you list what it is, that I can possibly be. You don't see people as your obstacles. No, Father God, they're here to help me. David didn't see people as an obstacle. He found 600 of them who could help him accomplish what he needed to accomplish. You can do the same thing. And they weren't even the, the best of people. But they sure became the best of people. Bow your heads, Father, we thank you that you have a call on our life. That you have anointed us, put certain giftings, certain things to help us in this. And the Father, when the time comes, you will separate us, set us apart, send us out in this thing. But there's preparation that we need to do. But when you made us, you put certain passions on the inside. 
sometimes we pursued those passions in a wrong way. And it was a hindrance for us operating in that, in that ministry. But just as you did with Moses, you can bring us back. And get us to that place where we can flow in that ministry, in that calling. And we can do it again. Thank you, Father. The days ahead for us are bright days. They are good days. No matter what mistakes we've made in the past, you have a way to get us around them and to get us back doing what you called us to do. Thank you for such a great example as Moses who pursued the calling so disastrously that it knocked him out for 30 years. 30 more years than you planned. But you still got him around. And I thank you, Father, that you will still bring us around to be able to do those things to help you. So wherever it is we are right now, we are in preparation, in development. You're doing something with us. And we're open. And we receive. We won't be so full of pride that we cannot hear. And we won't let the devil pull us into places where we are criticizing those that are around us because that will hinder us from pursuing the call. I thank you for it. I give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name. One of the things that Paul taught us about the calling is he said there are some parts of the body that are more prevalent and some parts that are more behind the scenes, less visible. Everybody wants to become one of the more prevalent ones, one of the more visible ones. But some of us are called in some things that are not necessarily as visible, but still just as important. You know, we don't talk about livers too much inside a body. But none of us would be alive if we didn't have one. There's a lot of important parts on the inside of us. It's like there's a lot of important parts in the body of Christ. What is it you're passionate about? Just in the church here, we have some folks that are passionate about missionaries. We have folks that are passionate and seem to have a gift of, of making money and just love to fund things. That's a passion. That's a calling, folks. Nothing wrong with that. There are so many things that we could be doing in the body of Christ. People could be encouragers. They just get passionate about encouraging people. I don't care who finds out about it. I just love calling someone up or stopping somebody at church or finding somebody in the store. Just speaking words of encouragement. There's so many aspects of the body of Christ. There's something that has been a passion for you for a long time. God will help you get back. Even if you have burned all kinds of bridges, He has in the bridge building business. He gets them back yet. Thank God for that. I didn't see that we had any prayer reports or anything like that handed in up there in the in the front. All right, I'll catch up on this anyway. Jim's surgery went well, and he is, um, I believe he's released now, right? The last I talked to him, he was still at the hospital, but he should have been, um, he was expecting to be released. So um, 
But everything he wanted to do when the surgery is done, and he is uh, uh, doing well there. Was in a lot of pain, and I saw him over at the hospital. He was in a in a lot of pain, and whatever they were giving him wasn't working. They were still trying to work on something else to to give him for that. But good to see Miss Chris here today. She's been laid up, as we told you, for for a while, and uh, so you're uh, obviously able to be driving again. <laughs> that's a that's a good one. Um, anything else I'm missing? Okay. All right. Wednesday night we got another time on Moses. We're going to be looking at some some things that that he did. Uh, how did Moses get into the Faith Hall of Fame? What is it about what he did that set him apart on that? So we'll be be uh, catching up on that on on Wednesday. If you missed the previous Wednesday, it is up on the podcast. Of course, on Facebook, you can find it all those kind of places too. Have a great day and bless some people that are around you. <laughs>